guys and welcome to the Bring On United podcast here for the first time visually as well for YouTube. Uh, last week our first episode covering all the news about Eric Ten Hag uh, was an audio version only but this week we've managed to get the camera sorted out and we are here on YouTube for our first ever podcast there. So once again uh, another great week being a Manchester United fan I'm sure. It's been a great weekend has it your city's thumping Watford, Liverpool Beating Everton, I, I didn't get that Twitter. Did you see the post on the Premier League? One step closer. Uh, no, I've not oh. seen any posts. What? Oh, the Premier League said? posted one step closer for Liverpool. You know, after the win yesterday, I think mean, one step oh, closer to goodness. what being second. Yeah, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Come on, neutral site, please. <laughs> and unfortunately, we are here to discuss uh, Manchester United versus Arsenal, which ended in a three-one win for Arsenal. And I'm pretty sure Granit Xhaka. Is all we ever score against Manchester United? I feel. Like I know it's almost like he only turns up. What it's like Divock Origi against Everton, isn't it? It's like some players only turn up one game a season, but they're there every time. Yeah, at the Emirates, you can guarantee Xhaka hitting one from the edge of a box it going in. It happens every time we're there. I feel. So yes, let's just get straight into it. Um, the, the very disappointing defeat to Arsenal ended all hopes of a top four finish. Not that. I don't think there was any. I mean, I, I certainly didn't think we could do it. Um, and the worst thing was, it was just errors again like Costas. We actually played di- all right, I'd say. You know, it was much changed from the uh, Liverpool game where there was no effort, no nothing. Yes, but, I mean, we'll start with the first goal after two minutes. I mean, it, it's just calamity. I, I'm convinced now I could probably do a better job at left-back than Alex Tellers. I, mean, I just I don't understand these players, what they're doing. You know, how do they go on a football pitch and make mistakes every week? It's not just Harry Maguire. It's not just Bruno Fernandez. It's literally pretty much every player it's making mistakes. And of course, you've got Paul David de Gea making that wonderful save after the Tellez error, and Dallo just not tracking back. You know, you're not expecting danger, and it's one after two minutes. Well, that's the question I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking, how is Nuno Tavares, who even Arsenal fans keep saying is absolutely shit, anticipating that before our entire defence? How's their left-back getting there and no-one's covering it? Absolutely baffling, as you say. And, and to think that we didn't even clear the initial ball. I mean, I've, it's a couple of days after we're recording this, so I can't remember. I know Varane missed the ball. Yeah, I'm not sure how much Varane, he was at fault if he could have done anything. He, he but then, sort yeah. of like flicks it on and then it's Tellers who misses it. And then t- Tellers, I just... You just you see the ball coming towards him, and, uh, and look, maybe it's the trick of the camera, but you think, ah, oh, easy, stops this, get it gone. And he just sort of jumps. It's the sort of thing that you see on a playground when people are just sort of messing around and they're not really trying, and he just completely misses the ball. He completely misjudges it. It's one of those. It happens, defenders make mistakes, but when it's happening so often, you do just look at it and you think, this is ridiculous now. I mean, can you even defend? You know, you're asking the question. Yeah, so poor. And and to start like that within the first couple of minutes, it's just it's just the worst possible start. Because as you said, there was a little bit more life in this performance. And, and you think maybe if we got that first goal and, and put a bit of doubt in Arsenal, we could have been good. But against Liverpool, we conceded early. Against Arsenal, we conceded early. It's just every time we're just starting on the back foot. It's just so frustrating. Yeah, first time since the 1980s, we've lost four away games in a row. Uh, that them being City... Everton, Liverpool and Arsenal. It's it's quite embarrassing, really. But yeah, I, I, I do wonder what what anyone saw in Alex Tellers. Like, I, 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 he can put a ball in for a corner, you know, 
That's about it. I mean, how, I, I'm going to say this. I think everybody saw. I think everybody saw we had an amazing team of the season card at Porto on FIFA and thought this guy's going to be the best left back in the Premier League. And then I think it was just a case of Shaw, you know, had such a poor start to the season. It was like, oh my God, we've got anyone who's just not Luke Shaw. And he's got a couple of assists from crosses, corners into Ronaldo. He scored that great goal in the Champions League from outside the box. So, you know, I think it's one of those, you all get a little bit excited. You think, oh my God, we've got a left back who can actually go forward. And uh, yeah. You know, it's when they start getting a proper run of games and they start, you know, backs up against the wall, results start going against you. That's when you find out who the real class players are and who were just sort of getting in a little bit of good form that was sort of masking a, a lack of ability, really. And I think that's what we're seeing with Tellers now, unfortunately. Yeah, well, we'll move on to a second goal for Arsenal, obviously. It was much confusion. Um, Tellers, again, who brings... Uh, uh, Nketiah down we thought he scored but he was offside sorry he brings Saka down because Nketiah was offside so it wasn't 2-0 but then they got the penalty but beggars in between that time uh, Alanga at the other end very similar challenge you know, hand on the shoulder hand on the hand pulling back so tellers did really one was checked one wasn't one was a penalty and one wasn't like it was I don't want to sit here and blame the referees for his losing 3-1 against Arsenal but there are some very questionable decisions. We'll talk. We'll talk about this one first. The Alanga one, and then obviously going down the other end and giving them a penalty for a pretty similar thing. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's one of those. I, I, I don't, you know, whenever we hear about VAR, we hear about it every single game we watch that has VAR. The purpose of the system is to overrule clear and obvious refereeing errors. For me, there is definitely an argument that both of them are penalties. But they're soft penalties, which to me says that the rule should be, if, if you only overturn a clear and obvious error, if one's given as a penalty, it doesn't get overturned. And if it's not given as a penalty, it also doesn't get overturned. Just go with what the referee says, because it's a bit of a 50-50. Otherwise, there's no point having a referee on a fi- on the field. So, okay, fine, the Alanga one doesn't get given, frustrating. But then you can't give the one on Saka, because they're so similar. You've either got to give both or don't give either. And I don't care which way. You know, part of me loves getting penalties because they're exciting in football. The other part just wants, you know, the game to move on and stop with diving and everything. So make it stricter. I don't care. Just make a decision. I mean, I know for a fact you're going to get onto the Cedric one at some point, so I won't I won't go into that one now. But yeah, we're just asking for consistency because as you said, the Alanga one, yeah, we'd have been laughing if we got it because there wasn't a lot in it. But ultimately, if you're getting your hands around someone and pulling them back, you're obstructing them. If he doesn't put his arms on Alanga there, Alanga runs through and he's got a one-on-one and he's got a good chance of scoring. So, yeah, frustrating. It's, it is frustrating when that sort of thing happens. Do you, think, do you think they even check for that if they were not checking the offside? Because I feel the, the guy only picked up on it when he was checking the offside. So... Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I mean, I suppose they 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 automatically check everything, but certainly listening to the to the commentary on Sky Sports, no one even noticed it. I mean, no one even shouted for a penalty. No one appealed for it. It was just suddenly. Oh, I mean, I remember when when you watch it on the replays on Sky, suddenly it'll come up saying offside, and I thought, oh, we've we've dodged the bullet here, great. And then they keep looking at it, and you're thinking. Hold on, you've seen it's offside. Why, why are we not? Why are we not moving on? And yeah, it, it did seem like it was something that was a bit of a delayed, yeah, a but, delayed spot from them for sure. And like you say, with VR, it's clear and obvious. Well, they checked the offside, which took about two minutes, and then 
Oh, there might be a penalty, actually. I didn't notice that after my sixth viewing. I only noticed after tenth viewing. We'll watch that ten more times. It's just not clear and obvious, is it? I mean, I'm asking this question as well. What is the point of those screens that they send the referee over to? Because every single game I've watched where a referee has gone over to the screen to check it, he changes the decision every time. I've I've never seen him watch it on the screen and stick with his... You've seen it once. Yeah, um, Andre Maringer last season. I can't remember what game it was. He gave a penalty. He went over and he, like, you know, he, so he he stuck with his original decision. Even over a guy like I don't think it's a penalty. You know, he stuck with his Jock, original decision. Genuinely fair play to him because so many referees they just seem to, yeah. As soon as they're told to go and check it, they overturn it. And I just think, what what's the point? As soon as he walked over, you just think we all know what happens here. Yeah, it's, it almost just seems like it's wasting more time. But yeah, if you're saying that that it has happened, then. That's great, but I wish we'd see that more. I'd, you know, refereeing in this country isn't great. We all know that. I mean, we're all we're always exposed when we send our referees off to international tournaments, and that's absolutely terrible. But I'd like to see them stick with their opinions a little bit more. I mean, say what you want about Mike Dean. At least he backs himself in that sort of situation. Not, most of the refs don't have a backbone. It's, it's so annoying. That's like it, when they t- get sent over, it's probably in their mind, oh, I probably got it wrong. So they're already thinking... Not, you know, they're probably already thinking, I'm going to change my decision like 70% already, you know, and then when they watch it, oh yeah. So it's like they've always got that little doubt when they're always sent over, like, oh, I'm wrong here. But no, it's just, you're exactly. going over there to give your opinion as well. That's why you sent over there originally. The referees just use it, oh, I'm wrong. I'll watch it once, quick, point at spot. And yeah, let, let's get on to the handball because, oh, I mean, I don't even... Uh, what's he called? That, that idiot on BT, Peter Walton, the worst referee in the world. <laughs> I always say, even if it's in the group for my team, if Peter Walton says it's pegatly, it's probably got a pegatly. If he says it isn't, it probably is. He's, he doesn't said, get anything right, does he? He said the rules are: if you are out, if you're out of control and you fall on the ball and you touch it with your hands, it's not a pegatly. Well, if you do that anywhere else on the pitch, you know, if you get fouled and you put your hand, you know, if you think you've been fouled, you put your hand on the ball, it's free kick. So what Peter Walton's saying, if from now on, if Dallo or Wamba Sacker or whoever feel that they're out of control just fall on the ball it's not a penalty that's basically what he said and how it was not checked one bit I'll I'll never know I I will never know okay well to to, to put it into some context because you know if we've got anyone listening who's not from from the UK you might not have watched on BT and know what we're talking about with Peter Walton essentially he's an ex-referee who now works for BT Sport and is essentially a, an in-the-background commentator who's only ever brought in when there's a controversial decision and the commentators ask him his opinion. He explained what the commentators seemed pretty convinced it was a handball. He explained that the rule is if you are falling, obviously you're naturally going to put your hands out to break your fall. So if the ball hits your hand, it's not your fault. If you go back and watch what happened, Cedric falls and instead of immediately trying to get back up, he starts crawling towards Jaden Sancho. So it's not like it's an act of Cedric falling, breaking his fall and the ball hits him. He's already fallen, then crawls a couple of steps forward and then it hits his hand. If Cedric has done what you're supposed to do and immediately stood up, Sancho would have been gone and he would have been clean through one goal or he'd have been in a position to cut it back to someone who could have had a shot. But Cedric, for some reason, decided to crawl, block it with his hand, no handball. Just, you know, I, I don't mind referees missing something every now and then because they only have two eyes and they're trying to watch 22 players on a pitch. Okay, that, that, that that's fair. But there's a difference between just missing something 
and not understanding the rules that we're having explained to us. Every single one of us at home could see that even what Peter Walton was saying was the rules of the game, they were wrong. They got the decision wrong. It's just poor. Oh, it's... And uh, obviously the referee, uh, Craig Parson, the day before was given the FA Cup final, so but that says a lot about our refereeing in this country, if he's deemed the best for the FA Cup final right now. Well, we know he's winning that one then. Oh yeah, after yesterday, we know they're going to be getting a few decisions for him, don't you worry. Um, and let's, yeah, let's move on to obviously Chris Yarrow oh, now, so actually some happy news, obviously he was back after the horrible... Uh, the, it just, the, I'm not, well, I hated the commentators keep kept referring back to it like it just became weird at one point after the tra- they always say after the tragic loss of his baby boy yeah, yeah we don't get to be reminded I'm sure he does it I know he's not listening but it just became weird at one point like that's not who he is that's not like all about his personality just just move on and leave it like stop referring to it sort of thing but, no, like, absolutely he, he I reached... mean I, I'd, I'd, I'd just say yeah sorry mate no you go I'm sorry no, I was I was just going to say, yeah, I agree with you. It's a bit odd. I just wanted to say I thought fair play to Liverpool and Arsenal fans for both oh, yeah. keeping this round of applause going. I thought that was absolutely class. I thought that was a really good moment. Um, but yeah, I think it is something I just hope we can sort of move past it now. I think for Ronaldo, at least, I think he'll want to, to obviously, you know, he's got a new door to, to, to look after and he's got a massive job at his football club. So I think he'll probably want to start you know, being looked at as Cristiano Ronaldo again, not the person who's just lost his son. But yeah, I thought it was, there were, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's nice to have seen the football world come together at this point, definitely. 100%. I actually forgot Arsenal did that. I don't remember now. Um, he'll be, he, gets, he gets his 100th Premier League goal. He becomes the oldest player ever to reach that. And uh, it's the longest gap. You know, it's taken so long to do it. Obviously, it's taken him 18 and a half years, which isn't, isn't too bad, considering... For what twelve of them he was away. Considering how long he was away. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we keep saying this, but where would be we be without him this season? Twenty-two goals now. Um, Seventeen is it in the Premier League? I mean, he's won us thirteen points. Uh, I'm not sure the exact number, but he's is he is he in the top three top yeah, scorers? Top three. Yeah. In the well, Premier we, League this season or something. Uh, he, then he's he, high up there. He's either he? joint with Son or one behind Son and back event. So Salah, Son, Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, given his age and the fact that he's literally just walked back into the hardest league in the world, into a team that's falling apart, it's not a bad going. That, that, that that's not a bad little record that, at all. If he if he can manage to pip Son to that second spot, that's very impressive. I think this season. Definitely. I mean, I mean, I was expecting him to be on a hat trick at one point because early we we came out of the blocks in the second half. We had the Arsenal on the ropes, and then Nuno Tavares did finally concede a penalty when he tried to punch the ball out. Um, I don't know why VAR looked at that for twenty minutes. It felt like they just kept watching him punch it, and you could tell it was going to be a penalty. Everyone's expecting Ronaldo to step up, but it was Captain Bruno and. It was. It wasn't the worst penalty of the week, at least, no. Uh, if anyone watched the Chelsea-West Ham game yesterday, there was either worse hop-skipping a jump from Jorginho, where he rolled it into Fabianski's hands. But yeah, um, I just, Ralph Rangnick was confused by it. He was annoyed by it. He seemed pretty peed off by it. I think most Manchester United fans were. I'm not going, we're not going to be here. To, I'm not here to rip into Bruno. He's being our best player for coming on three years. You know, he's... He's just lost his way a bit. He's, he's having a hard time, like most of the players are. But it just 
as soon as we miss that, we, we just collapsed. We went into a shell again. Like, for a good 20 minutes, it, we played with confidence. We played with vigour. We were fast. We were, we were actually tackling. And as soon as Bruno missed that penalty, it just it all collapsed. Yeah, well, I think I think the weird thing is, is even the best penalty takers in the world miss penalties. But for some reason, we seem to have just got into this pattern this season where if a player's missed one penalty, they're off pen duty. I mean, Bruno had such an incredible record last year. Took his first one this season against Villa and Blazer over the bar. Awful penalty. He was off them then. Ronaldo took them. Ronaldo then missed that penalty against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Now Bruno's back on them. So am I meant to assume that Ronaldo will take the next one? Are we just saying if you miss a penalty, you're off? Like, I mean, at, Ronaldo, at what point do we just give that, him to Harry Maguire? Because yeah. he scored two. <laughs> in, that, in the FA Cup, though, Ronaldo then obviously took one in the shootout. And it was one of the best penalties I've seen as well. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see who takes the next one. I don't really yeah. make a big deal about it. You know, I, I hate them sort of your know, debates you'll see on like Sky Sports. They become almost like fan cams now. Oh, should Bruno? You know, who? T- it's not. It's not like this massive thing. I remember when uh, Paul Pogba and Rashford both missed a penalty at the start of uh, Solskjaer's first full season against Wolves and Palace, and, and it's like this massive debate about like penalties. And then yeah. I think Rashford went on to score something daft like. 10 penalties in a row that season so it's yeah we had a great run yeah so it's just them things you know it does happen but I, I, it's I think people are just getting on Bruno now uh, because it's the thing to do I mean there's accounts out there I don't know if you've seen like who just if you don't really know what they're on about if you're slating Bruno you can't be you're saying we should sell him or whatever Look, it's, it's pathetic if- if, if if any United fans want to talk about penalties, the perfect way to sum it up is Bukayo Saka missed the winning penalty in the Euros final, just took one against us, bagged it and beat us. You know, a penalty miss doesn't have to define you. A penalty miss doesn't suddenly mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean that you have to be off penalties. The best players in the world miss penalties. It happens. Bruno will get over it. He's just, yeah, it's just, it's just a terrible run of form for him. But we know there's a world-class player in there somewhere yeah. and... That's a big job for Eric Tan Hag next season. I think half the job for him is going to be, can you get Bruno Fernandes back to even close to the level he was at under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Because that's immediately going to win you points, going to get you assists, going to get you goals for sure. Yeah, and people are saying he's having like this awful season. Or he, he, he played in like... He's still got like 12 goals this season. Or you know, he's, he's in double figures. He's got loads of assists. I mean, the whole, the whole squad's just exactly. crap. The, at the moment, we're all just crap. You know, that, that's the way it is. There's no point trying to pick out someone. Everyone's crap, you know. People are on Maguire's back, rightfully so, I think. You know, he's, he's had a poor 100%. season. You know, obviously, don't condone what happened in midweek, of course, with the awful news about the bombs and stuff. That's just fucking fucked up. Um, you're bringing Varane. I mean, we've brought Varane. Champions League Varane. World-class Varane. We've brought down to our level. I mean, everyone is... It seems everyone except Ronaldo and De Gea for the last few weeks have just been shit. So it's just it's that season we're having, um, and then obviously the goal again, Bruno's terrible touch and then a, a class thingy. Uh, I did like De Gea having like you know there were an argument for offside because De Gea literally had to go the other way before diving, but it, it didn't matter in the end. And it was just another. It, it that felt worse than a few of the other games. You know the. Yeah, the Liverpool game we got battered and it was awful. Uh, but this game, we only had ourselves to blame. Like we could have easily won that game. Um, we could have easily won it. And yeah, we, we we played we played better than I've seen us play 
more recently, especially in attack, it actually looked like we had a game plan and it looked like we had ideas and it looked like we wanted to, to do something. It it reminded me of what we were like a year ago. It was like we'd, we'd look to hit teams on the break. Alanga and Sancho wanted to use yeah, that pace. Yeah, but, but the press as well. But well. yeah, I think I sort of tweeted during the game. Yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, I think I sort of tweeted during the game. I think, unfortunately, in football, when it rains, it pours. And, and this is, you know... This is an example of it, you know, going into the game, Chelsea, Arsenal just got a massive result over Chelsea. We'd just been battered. Two teams in a very similar spot, one on top of the world, the other sort of just crumbling at the bottom. And I think that's what it came down to, really, fortunately. And yeah, that that a massive game. And I think it probably is, well, I think it almost definitely is Champions League done now. So time to start clearing our calendars for Thursday nights from, from September. As long as it's not the Conference League, something else. I mean, if you, oh, don't even talk to me about the conference league. Like, if you've got to pick what you're sure of the Europa League, because it's a no one, I would not give a shit if we won the conference league. Like, it's it's like the Johnston Pitch Trophy. You know? I, I think it's, I might get you know, a bit of shit for this, but I, I don't think they should have been, like, it sort of dilutes Europe, because you can't say it's a major competition, the third tier of European football. Like, the Europa League. There's still some pretty good to- good teams in that. You know, when you get to that stage, and yeah, you don't give a shit till semi final, quarter final sort of thing. You know, you breeze through group stage like you, you half watch. Uh, but once you get to that quarter final, semi final, it's quite a good competition. You know, we saw this year Barcelona winning it, uh, Dortmund winning it. Oh, I, I think I think in big parts, part you know, thanks to teams like. Because when we dropped into there, the Europa League is a much bigger competition now. Like, Jen, it's, it sounds like I'm just saying this because we're, we're going to be in it next season, but I actually quite like it. I mean, I, I'm a young United fan, so I haven't got these amazing memories of us winning the Champions League and stuff. I didn't start watching until after 2008, so I'm not blessed with that sort of a, a memory. So for me, some of my favourite moments watching United in Europe has been the 2017 Europa League run last year's Europa League run, you know, and so I don't have that hatred for the tournament. I'd love us to win it next season if we're in it. But yeah, as you say, the Europa League has been around for a long time and has only just started to earn its sort of credit as a watchable trophy. The Conference League has got a long way to go before it gets to that because it is really, I mean, there's there's a huge lack of quality. As you said, occasionally in the Europa League, you get a good team drop down into it, like a Barca, a Dortmund, a Manchester United. The Europa League, I mean, Leicester are probably the favourites. I mean, the Conference League, sorry. With Leicester probably looking like favourites, that probably says it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um, it's a good argument. I've seen people on Twitter going, like, for confidence building and stuff next season, yeah, the Champions League's really flashy, but we're just not good enough to be in the Champions League. I mean, the league table shows our performances in Europe this year showed that we're not good enough to be in the Champions League. I mean, what's the point being in the Champions League to go out in the last 16 or to drop into the Europa League from the group stage? Well, you know, we haven't. We we probably could be favourites for the Europa League next season. You know, starting out in that group stage. Like, where do you lie on that? Do you would you prefer to be in the Europa League because we've got a chance of winging it rather than just getting spanked? You know, at one 0 by a flick or embarrass ourselves in the Champions League sort of thing. It's an interesting thing to think about. I think I think I think the big thing about the Europa League to me that that makes me think it's not as bad as people say, and I certainly don't agree with the people who say they'd rather have no European football because we're desperate to win a trophy right now. We're not going to win the Premier League. 
we're never going to win the Champions League at this rate because of how many good teams there are out there. And I think given Liverpool and City and Chelsea's reign of dominance right now, I don't back us to win a league or an FA Cup. The Europa League genuinely, to me, is a winnable trophy for Manchester United. Um, so in some ways, I think, yeah, that is our perfect opportunity under Ten Hag to break this trophy lapse, get some of our players in our squad their first trophies, which I think they need. Players like Bruno and Maguire, who've not won anything with us yet and you know haven't really won much in their careers at all, and get Ten Hag off to that winning start at United. So, you know, I think maybe that's an advantage to the Europa League. Look, obviously, we all know the big problem with not playing Champions League football or the, the big problems. I mean, obviously, it becomes harder to attract play club in the window. I think, secondly, we all know how horrible that Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday schedule is going to be next season. It's going to be relentless. But, you know, may, maybe that's what we need. Maybe these players just need a kick up the arse. Maybe they need to be playing loads of football. They need to be working hard. They need to, you know, be travelling relentlessly together, form that bond as a team. Maybe it's good for us. You know, look, if if you came to me right now and, and offered me Champions League football, if you said, look, you can win the last four games of the season and Arsenal and Tottenham will lose their games and you take fourth place, yeah, I'll take it. Because even though I never back us to win it, it's always fun. You You want to be playing the best teams in Europe, but... I'm not going to sit here. Normally, when we go out of the Champions League, I'll be moping around for days. I'll be I'll be fuming when that first Europa League game comes around. But I think it's time to look at it with a different attitude. So, you know, yeah, group stage will be a bit tedious. But as you say, when it starts to get to those latter stages in the knockout round, I guarantee you will be into it. We'll be looking forward to it for sure. Definitely. That's, I mean, obviously, the Europa League was supposed to be that competition that spurred Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and this team forwards. And it probably will have done. Like, it's so weird to look back, you know, it's a year ago, in what, a month, 26th of May. Um, it's going to be a year since that Europa League mm. final. Like, how different it could have been, it would have been if we'd have won that. And it, it's so weird to think that. Like, it can be this great... It's a great tournament to be in when you're in the semi-finals finals because I mean, if you win that, it's a trophy. It's a European trophy. You'll be playing for that uh, the Super Cup. It is a bit of a shit thing. I don't watch it unless Man United are playing in it. And, and then... You know, it's it's that starting point. I think that's what Ten Hag will need because we know fans are craving a trophy, but we've got to be realistic. Uh, so yeah, um, hey, I'll, I'll point this out as well. I'll point this out very quickly before we move on. Go and have a look at our Europa League run last season and compare it to Liverpool's Champions League run this season. I think you'd be very surprised to see just how similar they are. This this Europa League being just crap is is a bit of a myth. We. We put in some fantastic performances last season. You know, yes, we lost to Villarreal, but I think we're seeing now that's not as bad as we thought at the time. We put on a great performance away at the San Siro, kept a clean sheet against Milan. We smashed Roma. We smashed Real Sociedad. You know, there were, there were some decent moments in there. So, yeah, I, I'd agree. It's not the end of the world, definitely. No, you make a good point. You, you can get some tough you know, opponents in the Europa League. I've always found that, you know, the last 16 and quarterfinals in the Champions League, if you get a good, it's actually, I'm not taking away what Liverpool have done, but they played, what, Benfica and who did we have the previous round? Was it Salzburg? Inter Milan. Inter Milan. Yes. And now they've got Villarreal. I mean, that to me is is almost the Europa League run to the final. You know, fair play, you've got to be there to get there, yeah. and, and they are, they deserve it, but it's, they've not had to play anyone any giants of Europe have they? No, like Chelsea obviously went out to Real Madrid. That's what I mean. And Chelsea last year, they got Atletico Madrid, who, to be fair, but then they got Porto. And then you, you know, when you get to the semis, you got to go have an easy game. But yeah, 
So the Europa League is credible now. Um, I mean, look at this year. I mean, West Ham, they, they were they could be playing Barcelona. Freiburg, obviously, they're going to be playing um, not Freiburg. They were playing uh, Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Yeah, and obviously Rangers and Leipzig. So it's it's going to be it's an interesting one now. So yeah, I'll, I'll happily take it. And, and in the group stage, you get to bleeding a bit. You don't have to play, you know, your strongest team every week in the group stage, uh, in the Europa League especially. And I think no, no, you've got a chance to rotate. Yeah. You've got a chance to get some young players through, definitely. And that's, I think that'd be good because we're, we're going to be talking about slimming down this very big squad that Ralph Rangnick walked into. And he said it was a very bloated squad, which it is. And with the Europa League, I think you can actually slim down your squad a bit because you can give youth a chance in the Europa League. I remember Ole Gunnar Solskjaer pl- uh, played a full youth team out in uh, Kazakhstan uh, a few, when we got to a final last year, was it, or the year before. But uh, I think that was the year before, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Was, yeah. yeah. We, won, the, we were in the Champions League last year in the group stage. But yes, let's go into a new story yeah, that obviously that. broke. Um, Ralph Randnick just he 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 seemed like he'd had enough. Uh, he was asked about this fracker's dressing room, and he just says, "Ask Jesse Lingard." Obviously, he'd heard the story about Paul Scholes who leaked, which I don't think helps anyone. Paul Scholes might be thinking, "Oh yeah, this is that's not help." You're undermining Randnick there. But as the manager, like leaking that story from Jesse Lingard, yes, Jesse Lingard's in the wrong for saying it. But I think Paul Scholes is also in the wrong for t- telling people about it in that way. You know, just going, "Oh, I don't mind. I don't think Jesse will mind me saying." But he told me this dressing room's shit, basically, and no one really gives a toss. And I feel sorry for Randnick when stuff like that coming out. He just must feel so powerless. So then a day later, uh, Steve Bates, one of the best reporters about, um, I. I 100% believe anything he'd say uh, came out with a story that Ragnick's got a dossier for uh, Eric Ten Hag which is basically going to tell all about the players who to keep who to fuck off who's shit they're not physically enough they're not quick enough they don't work hard enough they've all got massive egos they're unprofessional I mean it's, it's going to be a damning report if all them things are coming out of true Ragnick said he's been thrown under the bus we've heard that one before they don't listen to him uh, specific instructions. I, I can honestly believe that from some of these. Um, I mean, you watch them on the pitch. And you, surely Randnick's not telling them to do some of the shit they do. And it, it, I just feel awful for Ralph because, I mean, I'm glad he's outing them. I'm glad he's not holding back because that was probably a criticism of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, he, because Ole's just a nice man. He, he loves everyone. He didn't want to throw the players under the bus. But if you don't throw them under the bus, before long they throw you under the bus. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, we've seen it with so many of our teams, so many other teams. So often teams that have been great and, and collapse, you know, Jose Mourinho teams come to mind. They suddenly just completely turn on the manager. Look, if you wanted to be really, really cynical about this Ranick situation, you could say, I suppose it's convenient that he's done a pretty shit job as manager and, and, and is suddenly saying that all the players don't care and they're rubbish. But that would be a really cynical way of looking at it. The way, the way I'm trying to sort of see it is, Randnick has nothing to lose here because he's not coaching us next season. Yes, he's moving up to the board, but he's not going to be manager from next season. So there's no reason for him to lie to Eric Tan Hag about next year. Yeah, he's you know, got, he's know, got to no, have a club. He's got it in his best interest. Exactly. He, he's got it in his best interest as someone who's moving up to the board to make his life easier. 
Therefore, you've got to believe that he's going to tell Eric Tan Hag the absolute truth about everything. And if that is the case, the scary thing to me is, this is what he's saying to the public. What's he going to say behind closed doors? I mean, if this is how bad it is and this is what we're seeing, that makes me think he is absolutely mortified by what he's seen, to be honest, which which is which is tough. But again, I mean, I think we touched on this in the last podcast. It, we've tried so many different things at United. We've, we've all speculated when new managers have come in. Ultimately, the only thing we can do is wait and see and just hope that Tan Hag takes on Rennick's advice and and does a big clear out and replaces players with with good mentality players, good ability yeah. players, people who care about playing for Manchester United, and and we can slowly start to get back to where we were. Um, and, uh, obviously now we're going to do a stop check of the the team we have now and what we'd be doing in the summer. You know, it's got to be a big summer coming up. There's a lot of contracts expiring. There's got to be a lot of dead wood, uh, a lot of decades leaving let's be honest there's a few who have just taken us for mugs these last few months uh, we're going to start with defence and goalkeepers and uh, next week we'll be doing the midfielders and then finally uh, we'll, we'll move on to the attackers so let's start with the keepers of course it does look like I don't know if many people want to hear this but I, I'm definitely a fan I can't, I can't see how you cannot be he's a true leader at the moment he's the one saving us he's got to be the one who He's got to win a, what, a record fifth or sixth Sir Matt Busby Award. David De Gea, you've got Lee Grant, you've got Tom Heaton, and of course you've got Dean Henderson. It, I understand people's problems with De Gea's uh, uh, you know, way to get just getting rid of the ball, yeah, playing out. But why would we want to play out at the moment is what my thing is. We, we're so shit. Like, we've seen shit teams try to play out from like Norwich, you know, teams like that. I mean, we even saw Arsenal who were not particularly good trying to do it the other day, you need to have good ball-playing centre-backs. And when we've got terrible full-backs, I mean, De Gea can't do it. But, of course, Lee Grant's going to be leaving. Um, Tom Heaton's just going to be there because that, that's what his job is at the moment. But who would you be keeping... Uh, do you expect Dean Henderson to leave if he's not offered any chance of playing? Yeah, look, I... I... I liked Henderson. I thought after his loan at Sheffield United, he was obviously not completely polished. He'd made a couple of mistakes, but he definitely, it felt like he deserved the chance because of how, you know, as a whole, he'd done a very, very good job. And he got that chance towards the back end of last season. Um, De Gea, for a very short period, seemed to fall out of favour with Oli. Um, but obviously, by the time we got to the big game, the Europa League final, De Gea had won himself back in and and again, that, that final obviously didn't end well for him with the shootout, but he managed to overcome it and he started this season so well. I, I just can't see Henderson ever really taking De Gea's position. And I think because of the way that keepers work, they're the one position on the field where age isn't really a massive factor. So even though De Gea is a lot older than Henderson, there's no reason to say that he couldn't still be here for another four, five, six seasons if if that's what Tan Hag or any future managers who, who might come in after one if they like De Gea. So if I was Henderson, I'd be looking to move now. I'd be looking to get a permanent because I think he's at that age now and he's at that quality where he could move to a very good level side and be playing first-team football. Also, we've got to remember, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about the World Cup at the moment and how United players are probably going to turn up for the start of next season because they want to go to Qatar. Henderson's going to want to put in a little bit of a name for himself for the England squad. I mean, he's Nick Pope's obviously yeah. older than Henderson. And, you know, and Pickford, people are always asking questions about Jordan Pickford he seems to somehow pull out this miraculous 
improvement when he goes off to to England duties. But whether he'll, you know, if he drops down to the Championship or something, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine Pickford will leave. But if he doesn't, you know, we know Southgate has a bit of a bias in terms of picking players who are playing at better levels. So maybe this is Henderson's opportunity. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave. I think, and I wouldn't even be too worried about who we replace him with because you know I think Tom Heaton is a perfectly fine backup goalkeeper. And then it sort of becomes just a job if, if Grant's going to make sure you've got that third choice, whether it's a youngster or you bring in another older person. Yeah, there's talks of uh, bringing will, in... You know, just oversee the youngsters. So yeah, there's talks of bringing Sam Johnson from West Brom when his contract expires. So bringing back another keeper who failed to make an impression. So we have a go, maybe 10 years' time, Dig Henderson will be back at Old Trafford to sit on the bench again, like he did before. Moving on to the defence now. Potentially, yeah. I, I, Sorry. I'll just, I'll just quickly say on, on David De Gea, um, if I'm just all right to just, just say this, oh, I, yeah. obviously you mentioned about the um, the, the distribution and things. Um, obviously De Gea's distribution is a problem. I, I think he's still an absolutely world-class keeper and I'd like to see him say. This is what I'd say though about Manchester United. If Eric Tan Hag walks through the door and he says that his tactics will not allow him to use a keeper who cannot distribute, in my opinion, then De Gea has to be replaced because, and th- and this is like worse. I don't think he will do. I think he's going to go with De Gea, and I'd be happy with that. But we need to start valuing what our managers actually want, and that's that's the only problem with David De Gea right now. There are so many teams in the world who don't rely on playing the ball short, where he'd be absolutely fine. But for some reason, we try and force it. When Tan Hag comes in, I hope he recognizes that that's a weakness of De Gea, and therefore he either goes, okay, well we're just not going to do that. Or okay, maybe I do need to replace him. That that'd just be me. I, I I really like De Gea. I'm just fed up of us sort of like keeping players or buying players and not really consulting or thinking about the current manager. Let yeah. you know, let him make that decision. I mean, Pep Guardiola relies on having a goalkeeper who can play with his feet, which is why he's got Edison. You know, that, that that's just my my opinion on it. But yeah, overall, I certainly hope De Gea stays. He's been absolutely world class this year. Best player by by well. Him and Ronaldo by an absolute mile, oh, for sure. Hundred percent on that as well. Yeah, I should have probably put that in as a disclaimer before we start. Like, obviously, these are just our opinions, so we're up for debate in the comments as well. But hundred percent, we get to start what listening to our managers because that, that's what's got us in this problem in the first place. You know, I, I was saying to a friend in the pub yesterday, the day Manchester United really took a, a nosedive. We were we were on a downward track after Fergie. But it was the day we sided with Paul Pogba over Jose Mourinho. Because that is the day where the managers at this club lost all power. The, the players saw, all oh, right, well, they'll, they'll side with us because they can't sack all of us. We're, we're more valuable. And that is the day Manchester United mm. took a shit dive down the drain. Now, I was saying uh, this as well, like, with Myrtle and Fletcher, actual football people, the players are going to see their arse and they know they're not going to be well protected now. Um, and I, I fully believe that we will start listening to the manager more. I, I think Myrtle is a smart man. Fletcher, of course, you know, he loves the club, he's played for him. Uh, he's, he understands football. So I think this is the time where you'll see that football decisions are going to start getting made instead of commercial decisions. Oh, I, I hope so. I think that's a massive step for this club. Just... Not, not, not even going out and buying players for 150 million. It's just, just making smart decisions and listening to what a manager wants. 100. percent Couldn't agree more. So let's go into the defence now. Um, we've discussed some of our fullbacks and their misgivings uh, in the last few weeks. 
But I, I, I would even say centre backs are number one concern in the defence. It's our full backs. We we need two new full backs on the left and right. I, I, Luke Shaw is a great player. He's decent. He's, he's our best full back, of course. He's England's number one full back. He's a good left back. But the rest just don't cut it. And we've seen that so many times over the last two years that we've got. Wambasaku is a brilliant one-on-one defender. He can put. He he's, he has got a few crosses and assists. I saw a stat that he's got the same amount of assists as Reese James. I think over the last two years, but just just now the Tellers, Dalo and Wambasaka. I, I think Tellers has to go in the summer. I prefer to have uh, Brandon Williams as a backup than uh, Tellers. And uh, yeah, I just I don't know if. I'd sell that. I'd probably go if I had to sell one of them out of Wambasaka and Dallo. I'd probably say Dallo and keep Wambasaka as a backup. But we definitely like we definitely need new right back and possibly a new left back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, unfortunately, we're not seeing the same Luke Shaw as we were last season, and I'd argue the same with Wambasaka. I really liked him when he first signed for the club and. Defensively, I mean, of, of all the players in the Premier League, if you had to bank on someone making a last-ditch sliding tackle, he's probably up there. But unfortunately, you need versatility. I mean, even like Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold, we make fun of him for not, not being able to defend. He can defend. He's just a lot better at attacking. And, and that's fine if you're you know, good at two things, but better at another. But Wambasaki, yeah, it really does seem like he's a completely unbalanced defender. He just doesn't offer us stuff going forward. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think it's important to get a couple of fullbacks in. Again, um, I'll sort of reiterate what I said last time. I, this has got to be down to Tan Hag now because the the modern day football sort of the way it works, fullbacks are very very important. But you get completely different kind of fullbacks who did who do who do different stuff. I don't know enough about his play style and what he's going to bring into United to um, to say who they are per se. I just hope that the board listens to him when he says what he needs. I mean, whether that involves bringing in players he's already got at Ajax. I know we're obviously being linked with this Timber, who I think I thought was a centre-back, but I've heard he played right-back for Ajax the other day and did really, really well. Yeah, so a, could be a case of doing versatile. that. But, but yeah, 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 exactly. And, and you know, we're not... Let's let's face it. Yeah, as, as you say, we're not going to sell all of our full-backs, so we're going to have to keep a couple of them as backup. But, yeah, to, to start this rebuild properly... Uh, a first team left back and right back is a priority. Yeah, more than probably, more than potentially any other position, I'd say. Definitely. We're going to, I'm probably going to ruffle a few feathers now with the centre backs. Of course, I mean, Eric Bayer, I mean, after his comments on Instagram, I, I, he's a funny guy. He's injury prone, though. Just for his own sake, I think he needs to go. He's never going to get a look in here. Um, so, Phil Jones, of course, I, I hope he can go to a decent club you know, in the Premier League or even the top-level club in the Championship and just play football. I just feel really bad for him. Um, I just want him to play football. So, of course, I think them two should leave this summer. Um, Rafa Varane, of course, he's, if he can stay fit and get a run of games, the reason he seems rusty the other day is because he hadn't played for a month. He got injured in national duty, hasn't played for a while. Um he just needs a run of games. and We saw how good he was earlier on when he was getting that run of games. He, he's a brilliant top-class centre-back. And I don't care who anyone says, no one at the club is going to sell Harry Maguire this summer. I don't think Eric Tanghag will want to even get rid of Harry Maguire because there is a brilliant centre-back in there. Not world-class, 
not world class at all, but a very, very good centre back in there. I mean, we've seen for the past two seasons how people last year were saying, oh, if Harry Maguire had played in the Europa League final, we'd have won it. And yes, he's had an awful, awful season and he's in this rut, he needs to get out of it. And he's had a few off the field problems, yes, but we're not going to ever go get rid of Harry Maguire. Yes, maybe just do take the captaincy off him. Maybe give it to Ronaldo if he stays, give it to De Gea. You know, just take that pressure off him. Don't strip him. Don't uh, even if we, you know, if Eric Ten Hag came in and just explained, I'm doing it to take it off. You know, take the pressure off him. You still see on Sky Sports, Harry Maguire stripped of captaincy or something. Um, but and Lindelof, he's a brilliant backup centre back for Manchester United. I don't think he should be starting, but he's a very good centre back. I would not sell Victor Lindelof. I'd keep him as a backup centre back, and. Of course, we're, we're going to bring another centre back in because of the calamitous season we've had, where we've conceded what fifty-three goals, I think, so far. It's been embarrassing almost uh, the defended times, but we have got some. Oh, we've got some good centre backs. That's the thing. And yes, if we're bringing Timber, he's young, so he'll be able to learn off these players. But if we're just, I don't think he'd outplace Harry Maguire or Rafael Varane. Um, you need to sign a big, big centre back to outplace one of them too. I think. I think for me, the issue with Harry Maguire, I, I, as you say, I like him and I like what I think he was good last season. I think he's been excellent for England, which is obviously as an England fan, fan as well. I, I love that. For, for me, Maguire's best quality is his consistency, you know, and, and his ability to stay fit. You know, I know you said about the Europa League final, but that's probably his one sort of injury throughout his time at United, which for a centre back is pretty good. I think I'd, what I'd like to see Maguire do from next season is become a, almost like a backup centre-back to play the entire Europa League campaign and be an ever-present there and, and potentially, yeah, captain us on that run, but only really sort of slip into the league, say Varane's injured, sign, sign a really quality centre-back to play next to Varane, and then, yeah, if Varane picks up a knock, Maguire can come in. The problem, though, I think you have is because we've made him captain and we've paid so much money to him and he's got this giant ego and he's... He's such a big name, household name now. I just can't see that happening. I can't see Harry Maguire being at Manchester United but not being one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh, and I think that's the, the that's the worrying thing for me because ultimately that's your problem with Raphael Varane. Raphael Varane has to start when he's fit, but he's not always fit, which means you need a quality centre-back to come in and slip in and, and play when he's not there. And and that, to me, is what I'd like to see Harry Maguire become. He's our backup, but he can play the full Europa League season. He can play the FA Cup, the League Cup. He gets five to ten league games a season. Perfect. I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening. So, yeah, as you say, sign a new centre-back. But I think it'd be very interesting if we do sign a new centre-back to see who Ten Hag starts on that first game of the season next to him. I, I genuinely think that'll be one of the most fascinating decisions because... You know, if if Harry Maguire is dropped from day one, I, I'd have thought he's I, I'd have thought he's handing in a transfer request. I think someone with him, he seems to have a bit of an ego. He seems to think he's a bit better than maybe he is. Certainly, he has been this season. He's not going to fight for his place. I'd have thought if he if, if he gets dropped, he's handing in a transfer request and trying to leave the next summer. That that's my thoughts on it. But but yeah, I think there's definitely a place for him. And if you can get him back to just slightly as consistent as he was the season before this one, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's something there. And as you say about Lindelof, very consistent backup centre-back, perfect. And yeah, Jones, it's time to go. And, and Baye, you just can't trust him with the injuries. So yeah, I agree with you on all then, definitely. Yeah. 
And the fit, obviously, there's a World Cup coming up. Maguire won't want to be sat around like, you know, he's, he wants he won't be starting for England Qatar. And that's what... I don't know if it pissed me off if players started just miraculously. They probably will start the season well. New manager bounce, there's a World Cup, you know, they're playing for their places, a lot of them. So I, we probably will start well. I, I don't know if that would be telling of uh, the new manager, new signings or anything. It's going to be a strange... Summer, I guess, you know, we don't know how much money we're going to have to spend. Um, and it seems like we need so many p- positions filled because of contracts expiring. Like, I counted this morning, I think we have 10 first-team contracts expiring. So you either have got to replace them with youth. Uh, we're going to be streaming that squad down here. You've got one matter going, Lingard going, uh, Grant, who never features really, uh, Matic, Jones will go, Baye, um, Cavani. Uh, there's three others uh, who are going to be going as well on a three so it's just we're in a strange position where there's going to be so many positions need filling but we're not going to sign you know eight or ten players so a lot of it's going to be filled by you well we spoke about at the start of the last podcast yeah we we spoke about the very start of the last podcast the first thing you sort of asked me was about what I thought of the Ten Hag appointment and I said my favourite thing about it was how quickly we've done it we've got it out of the way early we've not waited until the end of the season it is so important this summer we come flying out of the gate. Business being done, youth players being offered senior contracts, players being signed, players being sold. Get everyone's contracts so we want to stay at the club who's, you know, it's running out this season, get them signed on, whatever. We've got to be we've got to be going for it. You know, we we normally take so long to do business and we can't afford to do that. We can't get to August, the season's kicked off and we've still not got a good enough squad. We've got to be on it from July the first or even earlier, even when the players are on their holidays, I want the board making decisions. You know, it's got to be quick. It's got to be fast. We've got to just get on it, definitely. A lot to do. Very busy summer. And finally, of course, we're going to look forward to the game on Thursday because, unfortunately, these games are coming thick and fast now. And we have Chelsea at home. And once again, there is going to be a protest uh, against the Glazers and the ownership uh, by the 1958 uh, once again, we're going to be outside for the first 17 minutes of the game. So we're going to come in at is it 8 or 2 the beginning. Uh, I wonder if we'll be 1 0 up or 1 0 down this time. Chelsea, very good way place at the moment. Yes, they won yesterday. I mean, they could have been very frustrated. In fact, they've ended 0 0 once again after an Arsenal loss where you saw Aspel Equator arguing with fans. There is a bit of a tension in the club at the moment. Obviously, there's uh, the cats, they actually can't sell out their stadium at the moment. They're, they're capped at about 28,000. Um, they don't know who's going to be the owner. Rudiger's announced he's leaving because the ownership's not being sorted out and they can't wait. So there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of turmoil at Chelsea. And it's a good time to play them, I think, but it's also a brilliant time to play us because I think we're the easiest game in the league at the moment. Uh, but yeah, they, if they hadn't have won yesterday, I could have seen them slipping out the top four. Arsenal and Tottenham hot on the tails but with that wing I think they're, they're securing that top four now and it'll be interesting to see what sort of ch- who they start up front obviously Werner missing a lot of chances again yesterday I mean Lukaku I think came on and missed an open net once again on a very easy tapping and it, it'll be a good time for them to play Man U to get their confidence up ahead of the FA Cup final ahead of the league running because you probably look at that team and think even I can score in that game yeah yeah, well, Romelu Lukaku is an interesting one that I know we remember from our time at United. He loved scoring against his old clubs. I remember 
he scored against Everton the first time he played against them at Old Trafford and went and celebrated in front of their fans. I also remember that game we played against uh, Chelsea when he put on that masterclass. He scored and then crossed it into Jesse Lingard, who scored and he won 2-1. So yeah. I would not be shocked one bit if Romelu Lukaku suddenly decides he's going to break his scoring dock against us. Mo Salah did um, at Anfield, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting one. I, I, I'd have thought Chelsea, I think, are probably home and dry now, not because of them, but because us and Tottenham are just terrible. Um, so I don't think they're going to come into this game probably feeling the pressure necessarily, but also on the same you know token. Like even though mathematically top four isn't done, our manager has come out and said that it's done. So I think it's safe to assume we're not really going to be playing for anything. So it literally could go either way, and and, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this Manchester United team screams of a team who suddenly when we're already out of the top four race, we'll start winning games because oh, that's the sense. sort of players <laughs> I think they are. Um, yeah, you know, as you say about the protest, I mean, I think you can't force anyone to do it, obviously, because for a lot of people, they're not lucky enough to go to Old Trafford a lot. And if this is, you know, one of their rare occasions they get to go, then do you know what? Go in and enjoy it from the start, you know. But, you know, obviously we can only speak from, from our hearts and, and we believe, I think, I speak for you as well that the Glazers leaving Manchester United will be such a massive thing for the club. So if you are prepared to, to miss 17 minutes of the game to help this protest, I think in the long run, it can only be a good thing. Um, but that's just my opinion. I, I understand why fans don't like it, but you know, as we say, this is a fan channel. This is opinions, you know, it's, it's completely up to you. But yeah, I, I think it's just about, I mean, from a personal point of view now, I'm just going to try and have a good night out on, on chat. Uh, on Thursday and enjoy against Brentford on Monday and just, you know, it's always a sad time when the season comes to an end and I think it's even more sad when the last couple of games feel feel pointless but go in and put a good performance as we said before, let's see Ronaldo had a couple more goals, I think he's going to get a hero's welcome back to Old Trafford after the news I'd love to see him, yeah, start adding to his collection a few more goals to add into his um, 100 club episode that will be added to Sky Sports in a few years. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, Chelsea, Chelsea are, in a weird, are in a weird state. Um, you mentioned before Antonio Rudiger. I'm absolutely gutted that it sounds like he doesn't want to come to Old Trafford. I would have loved him yeah. pairing up with Rafael Varane next season. But yeah, two teams in a weird spot. I, I suppose, as you said, if that game against West Ham had ended nil-nil, then I'd feel maybe a little bit confident. Uh, confident is not the right word, but I'd feel a bit better. Still, gone to my head, I, I don't think we'll win. Maybe, maybe a 1-1, just because it's a bit of a pointless game for both the teams. But yeah, let's just enjoy it. It's always a fun time playing a top six club at Old Trafford. So oh, looking forward to it. Um they might be resting a few players again because I think they've got like they're playing every three days from now till the end of the season. Uh, so they play us Thursday, then they'll be playing s- Sunday, then they play midweek again, then the weekend, then midweek, then you know they they've got like six games or eight seven games left, and we've only got four, so we well, have to put in a few more games. Well, I, I heard from someone, and this this might be incorrect, but is the FA Cup now? Before the end of the season, yes, is the uh, FA Cup final played before the Prem end? Yeah, I'm sure we've got I like mean, that. That's, th- that's, that's why we're playing now. Yeah, because we won't be playing yeah. on the weekend between the Brighton and the Palace I think game. That, uh, we've got 16 days off. Yeah, I think we've got a fortnight off or something, yeah. haven't we, before the last game? So that'll be a long one. I mean, can can you imagine if Arsenal and Tottenham slip and we win a few games in a row and we're fighting for top four on that last game of the season, we've got to wait 16 days. I'll be an absolute nervous wreck for him. But 
Um, no, I mean, yeah, this is this is an interesting time for Chelsea. Obviously, having an FA Cup lodged in there, sort of, that makes me think even more that actually that probably makes me go the other way and think maybe they'll really want to win against us so they can get top four officially confirmed before the FA Cup. So maybe I'm talking myself into actually thinking Chelsea will beat us. But uh, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> think that way. Let's just let's just keep it at hopefully we draw or win. Let's try and be positive. Yeah. Before we end it then, got a message for Chelsea. Please do win the FA Cup final. Don't let Kepper and Riza Balaga take any penalties and you might win and stop that oh, well, double. Please. Hey, I'd love to leave, I'd love to leave, leave one message on here. If if the Champions League final is Villarreal versus Real Madrid, I will never complain about a thing again. Yes, that, please. If Chelsea win the FA Cup and we get an, an all Spanish Champions League final, I, I'll be happy about this. I'll be the happiest person this season. Alive. This season, this is how the mighty have fallen. If that happens, this season's being a success. Liverpool can keep their. Uh, I, I'll take it. Liverpool can keep the Carling Cup. Good for you, lads. Your best squad ever. But I, I will absolutely take it. All, yeah. all we are living off nowadays is that we've got twenty Premier League titles <laughs> and we won the treble. Just yeah. let us keep those two things. It's all we've got. That's, we've, we've been reduced to nothing. But there we go, guys. That is it it's for so another sad. Bring On United podcast. We'll be back again uh, Sunday or Monday to look forward to Brentford and to look back on hopefully a victory against Chelsea. But don't hold your breath. This has been Connor and Zach for the Bring On United podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>